I remember being in very similar seats to you guys whenever I first started coming to church. I started coming to church to youth whenever I was in eighth grade. But I consider myself an atheist. I, I, I thought in my mind that, like, that God doesn't exist. I thought if, like, if everything just ended, then that was it. And then a friend invited me to church, and he said, hey, you should come to church um, with me. I got invited by um, this youth pastor named Rick. You should come with me that week. I said, no, I got better things to do. I'm just going to play Modern Warfare at home or something. Um, so I didn't go that week, but he came back, and he said, you need to come with me the next week. There's so much um, pizza. There's games. There's girls. Like You have to come. It's a lot of fun. How many of you guys have come here because it's a night like this that's a lot of fun, right? Like, it, there's, there's games, there's all this stuff coming on. And so that's why I came. And honestly, that's why I kept coming. I went that week, you know, it was just like what he said. It was a blast. So I went the next week, and I went the next week. And honestly, nothing changed for me. I just kept going because, like, honestly, I had nothing better to do. The van was going to come by, pick me up, take me. I, you know, it was, it was a fun deal to do. Um, and I went through that for, for months before I finally said, like, there has to be something more. I wasn't thinking about that. That wasn't on the forefront of my mind. I wasn't just constantly searching and like, there has to be something out there. There has to be more. I was just going through my normal life as an eighth grader. But then coming to a church service, one very similar to this, the worship was powerful, the preaching was great, and then something happened like, maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's something about this Jesus guy that's real. Maybe there's something that I need from him. And so I prayed a very simple prayer. I said, Jesus, if you're real, I pray that you show me just how real you are. And at that moment, I didn't even know if God was real. I didn't know if this thing was real or not. And honestly, I was kind of getting made fun of by my family members. Like, you're like a Christian now. Like, you're just going to mess up. Like, you're going to stop going soon. And so I was getting all that feedback. And so at that point, I didn't even know if this was real. But I said, Jesus, if you're real, just show me how real couple of weeks fly by, you know, it's summertime. And if I would have, you'd have asked me, like, are you a Christian? I'm like, of course I'm a Christian. I go to church. But if you would have looked at my life, you would not have been able to tell by the music I was listening to, by the jokes and the conversations and the things I was doing with my friends on the weekends. You would, if you looked at my life, you'd be like, this guy's not a Christian. He's the anything opposite. I considered myself a Christian. I went to church. I came to youth group. I, I, I did all the games. I, I had a Bible. I did all those things. But nothing was different. Nothing changed. It wasn't until my freshman year of high school. Youth pastor, he's preaching a message about the Holy Spirit. About God's presence living inside you. About true transformation. About change happening. And I said, there's something more. There has to be something more. I've been doing this whole church thing. I've been talking about this whole Jesus thing. I have a Bible. Nothing has changed. I still feel like there has to be more to this. And he was preaching about that thing. That there has to be more. And I was like, I need that. Whatever that is, I want that. He was preaching about the Holy Spirit. And so he says, if you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then you just need to pray for it and ask for it. And I did that. And it was whenever I was earnestly seeking God. It was whenever I decided in my heart that I have to get more, that I just want more of God. I want to be changed. I want this to be true. It was whenever I decided that for myself and my heart that everything changed. It was almost like, I'm not going to say it was a night and day experience. I still had a lot of learning and growing to do. But something changed that night to where I wanted nothing but God. And I wanted everybody I knew to know about that. And I, in my life, it was different. I felt true meaning. I felt purpose. Everything just started coming to life. Things that were boring became fun. Things that were like, it, my life was different after that. The same thing can happen for our lives. Same thing can happen for you. This, the God of the universe, 
He created you. He formed you. He wants to come and live inside of you and change you from the inside out. That's what Apostle Paul, he's going to get into a little bit today in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Ephesians 5, starting in verse 14. He says, Therefore, it is said, Get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Pay careful attention, then, to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk on wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. So we see in the very beginning of that, it says, therefore. And so we know that when you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to go back and see what it's there for. It's talking about context. So what Paul is getting at and what he's writing from says, even though we are set free from sin and we're saved and we're chosen in Jesus, there is still a real and present temptation to go back to that old lifestyle. So just because we accepted Jesus doesn't mean we're never going to be tempted to go back to that old life again. And so Paul, he's talking about that really real temptation. And last week, Paul, he's giving us examples of what it looks like to walk in the light and not in the darkness. So you can just read the verses ahead of that, or right, the verses in chapter 5, verse 1 through 13, to figure out what he's talking about there. But what he's talking about is to live in the new life that we would be given and not to go back on the old life. And so in this section that we just read, Paul's continuing on that thought of not going back to the old life. And he says, because the times that we live in are dark, then we need to be reminded to wake up or to get up, which is what he said in verse 14. And he says we need to also pay attention, which is what he said in verse 15. It is so easy to get distracted from the life that God is calling us to live. Paul, he says we need to get up. We need to pay attention because it is so easy to get distracted. Have you guys ever, like, like, okay, I just need to do homework. I just need to sit down. I just need to read. I just need to do this. And you pull out your phone, and then next thing you know, you click on TikTok, and next thing you know, it's been an hour, and you've just been swiping and scrolling. It's like, how did that take an hour, right? It's so easy to get distracted in our life. Now, that's a silly, and that's a harmless uh, example, but we need to remember that the times that we live in are dark times. Paul, he says the days are evil in verse 16. The day and age that we live in is full of sin and it's full of evil. We live in a fallen and a broken world. And I don't mean that everything is terrible and everything is evil and everything is falling apart. And so because of that, we just need to go and hide and get away from it. But what I am saying is that the world that we're living in right now is not the way that God designed it. It's not the way that God meant it to be. Like the earth that we're living on, it's not firing on all cylinders. It's not, it's not in the right place. It's not happening the way that it should be. It's not perfect. And there is something that is missing. It's the most obvious whenever we turn on the news and we see rumors of wars and we see shootings and all that stuff. Like, that's obvious. We look at that like, okay, the world is missing something. This is not the way it should be. We shouldn't turn on the news and see these things. But it's also obvious that the world is broken when you go home and you see your parents fighting. Or whenever you hear about your friend talking behind your back. Or whenever you get that temptation to go open up the app or go to that website that you know you're not supposed to go to. We're reminded every day that the days are evil. And that it's not the paradise that God designed it to be. As Christians, whenever we accept Jesus, when we make him our Lord and Savior, 
We are now a part of that new creation that God is creating. We're a part of that new thing that God's creating. He's, he's creating everything to be back in his main image that he created for. And as Christians, we are part of that. And that's why Paul says that we must wake up and pay attention to what's happening in us and around us. And that means discerning what is pleasing to the Lord, which is what he says in verse 10. It's walking in counterculture obedience to him, not as unwise, but as wise, which is what he says in verse 15. Not as foolish, but understanding what God's will is, and not drunk on wine, but filled with the Spirit. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which in all honesty might be my favorite verse. I know I haven't said that in a while. Um, and honestly, I wrote 50, I wrote almost 50 pages on it in my senior year of college. Uh, Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. The world wants to press us into its mold. That's what that word conform means. It means to be pressed into a mold. It means to be the same thing, to be in conformity, to be in unity with the world. It says don't be conformed to the world. Don't just be a cookie cutter person of the world following in its ways, going in its evil ways, just being squeezed into a mold. But instead, we have been given a new pattern to walk in. Christians, by definition, are supposed to look different, act different, and be different than the world around us. That is the definition of a Christian. We talked about a couple weeks ago, a Christian means little Christ. It means to be different from the world. So as Christians, we are called to be like, speak like, and act like Jesus. And the way of Jesus is very different from the way of the world. Like if we read the New Testament and we see the things that Jesus did and the way that he lived, like how much patience he had and how much grace he showed and just the way that he did things, it's very different from the world that is around us. And that is what the Bible is calling us to live, a countercultural, difference-making kind of person. And we are transformed in that image. We begin to be like and speak like and act like Jesus by being transformed into his image, and that happens by the renewing of the mind. And we know from Ephesians chapter 4 that the renewing of the mind, it's a supernatural thing that happens by the Spirit of God. We, don't, we can't do it by our own willpower. We can't do it by our own strength of being transformed. Like when it says in Romans 12, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's not something that we can do by trying harder. We can't read enough Bible. We can't pray enough to transform ourselves. It's a supernatural thing that happens when God comes inside of us and transforms us from the inside out. And we see that from that word um, uh, for transform. The word for be transformed in the Greek is actually the word metamorpho, which is where we get the word for metamorphosis. Which, are you making fun of the word metamorpho? Meta, metamorph, metamorpho, meta, meta, right? Meta, that's where we get the word metamorphosis. Which metamorphosis, which you guys know, it is a change of physical form, structure, or substance. It is a striking alteration in appearance, character, or circumstance. Whenever something goes through metamorphosis, it is completely changed from the outside or from, from what it was before. And we all know the example of the butterfly. Like a caterpillar goes and gets in a cocoon and it comes out, it's a butterfly. What do you say? It's being transformed. So if we did not know about that process, think about that. 
Think about how crazy it is that a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. If we didn't know that happened, like let's just say you just woke up one day and like you didn't know about metamorphosis, you didn't know about the cocoon or anything, and I told you, hey, this caterpillar and this butterfly, it's the same thing. Like this butterfly used to be a caterpillar. You're like, no, you're lying. Like that doesn't make sense. Like the caterpillar is kind of squishy. It has like 10 legs or something. This butterfly has six legs. It's wings. It's beautiful. You would say that's it, that doesn't make sense. That butterfly never been that caterpillar. It's a completely different thing. Look at it. It's different. That's the way Christians are supposed to be to their old lives. Whenever someone sees your life, they should probably, they should be able to say, no, you're, there's no way I could see you like that. There's no way you used to be that kind of person. There's no way you used to walk like that. What happened? How'd you change? What happened inside your life? What did you do? How are you so different? The Spirit of God comes and changes us from the inside out. It's a complete transformation that starts on the inside, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, and then it begins to work itself out in the words, in your actions, in the ways that you treat people. So notice the, how that happens. Like you don't become, like you don't do good things, and then God accepts you, and then you're changed. You come to God humbly. You understand his grace that you don't deserve it. You come to God and you say, God, I need you. And then he begins to change you from the inside out. And then your actions reflect what happened in your heart. That's the way that happens. Whenever you are accepted by Jesus and you give your life to him, your actions should reflect that. And that's why Paul says that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we want to be transformed, if we want to be different from the inside out, if we want to stay awake, if we want to pay attention and be different from the world around us, then we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's so much that we can talk about of the Holy Spirit that we'll probably do a whole series on the Holy Spirit later. But at the most basic level to understand for the night, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that you are full and saturated and immersed in the full presence of God. And there's a bunch of different ways that we can go about that and talk about that, about do you have the Holy Spirit when you're saved, or is it a second thing that happens later on? I believe there's, it's both. I believe that you have the Holy Spirit when you're saved, and that's what we're talking about tonight. We're not talking about the separate thing. It means the fullness of God can and should dwell in you. Think about what that means. Think about how big God is. Think about how much he, crea- he created the universe. And it, like, I just watched a crazy video yesterday on how big the universe is, and it like, blew my mind. Like, it made me feel like that small, right? That same God that created the universe, created the earth, created, us, created the atoms and the molecules, he wants to live inside of you. And that, that's what Paul prays for in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through, 20, or through 19. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That blows my mind that we can be filled with the fullness of, of God. But that is what Paul is praying. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's role inside of us, it's to seal us for the day of redemption. We see that in Ephesians chapter one. It's to help us to stay rooted and firmly established in love. And it's to help us to understand the love and the the length and height and width of God's love and God's power inside of us. But in other parts of the Bible, and and Paul says in, in Roman or in Acts chapter eight, or I guess Luke says it there, that the role of the Holy Spirit is to give you inward power. 
Why does God want to live inside of you? What happens when the fullness of God can actually dwell inside of you? It says it's for inward power. And that word for inward power is actually the Greek word for dunamis, which is where we get the word for the dunamis tribe. It's inward power, and it's not power for inner strength. It's not like physical strength, like power to throw the dodgeball super hard or anything like that. That's not the kind of power that God gives you. The Holy Spirit's power inside of you, it's an inward power to be a witness for the gospel, even whenever it's tough. It's that power to share the gospel, to share your faith, even whenever your friends are going to make fun of you or judge you, or they're going to push back and argue against you. It's the power to be able to present the gospel. It's the power to be able to stand up to temptation when you feel like you can't give into it anymore. It's the power to be transformed into the image of Jesus. That's the main role of the Holy Spirit. Whenever you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and begins to dwell inside of us and gives us that power to look like and to be more like Jesus. But let's look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 and what it looks like specifically for the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit according to Paul here? Verse 18 through 21, he says, Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Followers of Jesus, I'm going to say it again, are supposed to be different from the world and different from our past lives. And here Paul, he's, he's contrasting getting drunk with being filled with the Holy Spirit for a few different reasons. The getting drunk, he says, it leads to reckless living. Which if you see that word in your Bible, reckless living, some of your Bibles, it might say it leads to debauchery. Like I don't know what translations say that. But that literally translates to wastefulness. And it actually refers to wastefulness of time. It says getting drunk, it leads to reckless living, which is actually just a waste of time. It's just useless. That time that you spend getting drunk and living in that there's no purpose in that. It's just a waste. Which I know you're reading in the Greek, that's a, a direct contrast to what Paul says that we should be doing as Christians in verse 16 when he says we need to be making the most of our time because the days are evil. So that's the difference. He says that like, we need to wake up. We need to pay attention because the days are evil. He says don't be drunk on, on wine because that is a waste of time. Instead, we need to make the most of time. We need to buy time to, to make time, to use our time wisely. And he says getting drunk is the exact opposite of that. So instead of following the world, instead of getting squeezed into the mold, uh, we need to be filled with the Spirit. And here's what Paul says that looks like. He says it looks like speaking, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, it looks like singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, it looks like giving thanks for everything to God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And being filled with the Holy Spirit, it looks like submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And so as a counterculture, difference-making people, where we find joy is different from the world. That's what Paul's getting at. And that's who we are. As Christians, we believe that we are counterculture, that we are supposed to be counterculture, and we're also difference makers. How do we make a difference in the world? It's by being different than the world that we're trying to make a difference in. So as counterculture, difference-making people, we find joy in different places than the world. 
The world finds joy in getting drunk and living for the weekend. But in the end, Paul says it's a waste. We know or we see on movies and TV shows that obviously it ends in a waste. Like they wake up, like I don't even remember what happened last night. Or they make mistakes. They know that it's a waste of time. But Paul is saying like, even later on, those who live like that, those who live for that, that that's their main goal in life. That's where they find their joy. At the end of their life, they look back and see it was a waste. But what about the Christian? Followers of Jesus are awake and aware. And in the end, our lives are full of joy. So here's the main point I'm trying to get at for this passage. Is that being filled with the Holy Spirit is a lifestyle of worship, gratitude, joy, community, and humility. Worship, like being filled with the Holy Spirit means worshiping God. We worship God because he created us. We worship God because he, he created the universe. He's bigger than us. He is holy and we're not, so we worship him. It looks like gratitude for Jesus saving us and dying in our, in our place. It means giving thanks. Everything that we now have is something that we didn't earn or deserve. It's all from God. It's all from Jesus. So instead of being filled with the Holy Spirit, it looks like giving thanks for everything, Paul says. It looks like joy. That's what he says, like singing hymns and, and making songs. That is a lifestyle of joy. That's a lifestyle that's uh, exuberant. Like whenever you're like down in the dumps, if you just put on music, especially like upbeat music or worship music, like you can't help but be joyful after that. Like there's something about music. There's something about like the the lyrics and the tune and the beat that gets you happy. And it's about community and humility. So speaking one another, lifting one another up, but also humility. Being filled with the Holy Spirit looks like humility, knowing that we're all on equal ground, that none of us are better than the other, we're all called to, to serve and to submit to one another. And it says in the fear of Jesus. That's what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In contrast with the world, which we know the world is full of FOMO and jealousy and a desire for more and more, a follower of Jesus is living in joy right now and will forever. The band will kind of come back. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's different from what the world lives. It's it, like whenever I say the word world, I hope you guys understand what I mean. It's just that culture. It's just everything that's different from the way of Jesus is what I'm referring to there. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, it means that we can have joy today, here and now. That we don't have to wait. That we can have it now. We don't have to look back and say tonight was a waste. We don't have to look back and say that my life was a waste whenever we are filled with the Spirit and we accept Jesus. You may be asking, how is that possible? How do I get that in my own life? Like we talked about earlier. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that there's something wrong with the world that we live in. We know that something's off. Like, even if you haven't thought about it deeply before, like, you're not just going home and analyzing everything and, and thinking about things. Even if you haven't thought about it deeply, you know that deep down that there has to be something more. There just has to be something that, that, is, that is better than this. And the Bible says that there is something more. 
God created the world to be perfect. He created it to be a place where we can have joy and peace and meaning and purpose and satisfaction and everything is gonna be in its perfect place and there was not gonna be anything wrong. There wasn't gonna be any pain or any tears. That's the way that God created the world. We can see that in the first few chapters of the book of Genesis about the Garden of Eden. But it says when sin entered the world, it brought with it death and decay. And the world has not been the same in humanity, Adam and Eve, and us. We have not been the same since then. And because of that, we are born with sin. And that means we are also born with that death and decay inside of us. Whenever we are born, we're already born broken. We're already born knowing that there's something that is off inside of us. So we're born with that selfishness and that jealousy and that desire for more and more. And that's why whenever we find something that makes us happy, it never truly seems like enough and it definitely doesn't last. Whenever we find something that seems to give us peace, it doesn't take long before something comes in and starts to give us worry. Whenever we find something that, that gives us, uh, that gives us uh, the satisfaction that we're looking for, it never really satisfies in the end. We never really feel like we can find true meaning and purpose. Like we just figured out, this is why I'm created. Paul said in Ephesians 2 that in our sin, we are dead. And he said last week that in your sin, you are darkness. Not that you were in darkness, but in your sin before Jesus, you were darkness. By ourselves, when we trust in ourselves, we have a problem. And God came to solve that problem. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to set it right. Jesus came to put all things back in their created order. And one day, the Bible says that Jesus will come back. He's going to come back to earth and he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Everything on earth is going to be put back in its rightful place. There's not going to be any more pain or any more death. Everything is going to be made perfect. It's literally going to be heaven on earth. God is going to come and live with us and that's the definition of heaven. That could happen tonight. That could happen tomorrow. That could happen a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now. But one day Jesus will come back for those that he has forgiven and those he has saved. And when he does, everything is going to be made right. Everything is going to be perfect. But that's why Jesus came the first time. He came because he knew that there's something wrong with all of us that we can't fix ourselves. He came to fix the problem that's inside of us. He came to forgive our sins. He came to take away that shame and that guilt that we're carrying because of those mistakes that we made. And he came to recreate us into the original image that we were meant to be in in the first place. A people that is whole, a people that aren't worried, a people that aren't sad, a people that, that have it together. God created us to be whole in that way. And in order for that transformation to take place, we have to first believe in and trust in Jesus make him the Lord of our life. It means that we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. It means that we believe that he, he was God. He came to earth and he died in our place. He took our sin and he died and he, he, he bore the wrath of God for us. And whenever he did that, we believe that it satisfied God's wrath. And because of that, we can be chosen with him, that we can be holy with him, that we can be fully forgiven. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. And to make him your Lord, that means Jesus, you are now my master. Jesus, I'm making you my, the boss of my life. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to submit to your authority. That's what it means to make him your Lord. He saved us, but he also wants to be our Lord. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, 
If you've never said yes to Jesus, but you want to, you know that there's something off. You know that there's something wrong in the world, but you also know that there's something off inside of you. You feel like there has to be more. There has to be something that is truly going to make a difference. There has to be something that's going to truly feel good, that's going to truly be what I'm looking for. If that's you and you've never given your life to Jesus, but you want to, you want to be made whole, you want to be made right in God's sight, you want to be forgiven of those sins and mistakes, you want to make him your Lord and Savior, I want you to raise your hand so we know who we're praying with tonight. Amen. I see that in the front. Every head bowed, every, no one looking around for privacy. If that's you, I, I feel like there's someone else. God's tugging on your heart. God's saying it's it's time. It, tonight is the night. Okay, this second one I'm going to do. Maybe you've said yes to Jesus. You raised your hand. You said the prayer, but but things haven't, things didn't change that night. Let's be honest. You went back to the old life. That temptation seemed too good. You went back to old life. You made them, those mistakes again. You went back, and, and God's saying that tonight's the night to be changed. Tonight's the night for it to mean something. Tonight's the night for it to count. If you want to rededicate your life, if you want to say, Jesus, tonight I, I actually want to live for you. I actually want you to be my Lord and Savior, and I'm not turning back. If you want to say that for tonight, raise your hand right now so we know who you can pray with. Amen. I see the hand on the left. I see it in the back. I see that in the back. Anybody else? I see that in the right. I see that in the front. Let's pray. Jesus, I want everyone to say this after me. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And cleanse me of my unrighteousness. I pray you make me new. Make me to be just like you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can look back up here. The cool thing is that the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess Jesus as the Lord of your life, that you are now saved. And what that means is that everything that Paul says is that you were dead. You were in darkness. All that is now past tense for you. And now you can walk in light. You can walk in the newness of life. You can be made new and whole. But it starts with you following Jesus. Jesus says, come and follow me. If you love me, you'll do what I say. Your life should look different, but it's not by our power. It's not by our strength. It's by wholeheartedly looking to and relying on Jesus. It's a relationship. This wasn't a business transaction that just took place, but you just entered into a relationship with the God of the universe. And he wants to be with you every minute of every day. He wants to walk with you. He wants to wake up with you. He wants to be with you and to live inside of you. And it comes just by following him and wanting to get closer to him. So now for everyone else. Christians, we have been filled with the Spirit. We have been saved. And so because of that, we are to live a lifestyle of worship and gratitude and joy and humility. And so with the worship team, they're going to lead us another song. This is our time to worship and praise God with thankfulness and with joy, singing those songs with, with joy because of what Jesus did for us. I'm going to go ahead and ask everyone to stand.